If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7. As you can see, we are continuing in our series, The Good Life. (laughs) We've been doing this for a while, right? Uh, The Good Life, Human Flourishing According to Jesus. And I hope what you've been seeing through this amazing uh, sermon is not my sermon, but this is the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus, Um, the most amazing sermon ever preached. And we learned from the very get-go that this sermon is about Jesus preaching to not only the Jewish people in that day, but also the Greco-Roman people in that day that are on that mountaintop listening to him, and he's speaking into their worldviews philosophically. And oftentimes we don't see Jesus that way, you know, just as a preacher and then the Son of God died on the cross. Yes, all those things for you and for me. But he's been making it very clear, especially to his disciples, this is what the good life actually looks like. And, oh, man, how countercultural it is, right? But the more we see it, the more we get it, the more it is really, especially for those of us who trust Christ as the Son of God, as our Savior, the more it is uh, life-changing and, and helpful to us living in this world today. And also, not just for the, the life that we want to live, the good life we want to live in this world today, but the life we want to share with others who don't know Christ yet, Right? So this is the amazing thing about the sermon. I hope you've been really enjoying the series. I know I have, but I'm mostly the guy doing this up front with you. So last week we looked at a subject that, and Jesus has been spending his time in the last few parts of this sermon, speaking directly into us personally as his disciples then and today about human relationships, how we get along with each other and the struggles that we have whether Christian to Christian or in the world, period. And last week, the subject was anxiety. Amen? (laughs) Like, oh my goodness, that was... uh, And I'm so encouraged because so many of you um, spoke about it afterwards and uh, uh, what you learned from him about that. And I think the title of the sermon last week was Stop Worrying, right? And it's easy for you to say, Pastor, right? Yeah, easy for me to say even to myself. But Jesus' main reason for saying that, as we saw last week was, again, just hearing the tone in his words that are written by Matthew. His voice was simply this. Stop worrying. You don't need to anymore. Trust me. Trust me. I've got this. You're going to be okay. Listen to me. Follow me. Today we have a different sermon title. We'll get to that in a second. I want to read the text for you. Oh my, we go from anxiety to something else. Something big today. Read with me, verses 1 to 6, beginning in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus speaking, do not judge or you too will be judged. Take that off screen in a minute. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your own eye, when there is the log in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. 
Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, um, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we want to thank you again. As we enter into this text today, Lord Jesus, we know we are listen, listening to great wisdom. You spoke these words on that day because you wanted them to understand something about judging. And so, Holy Spirit, I know that you want us to understand that better today, too. So I pray that you would help a lot here. Take the words that uh, I feel you've given to me to talk about this text and teach on it today uh, to be helpful for all of us today to be helpful. So, Lord Jesus, we will learn today what it is that you want us to do and why. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So, like I said to you last week... um, The sermon title was Stop Worrying. Today, the sermon title is, let's get it up there, yes, Stop Criticizing, in a nutshell, and we're going to get through it. I only have two points that I think I can get out of this text or show to you today, two succinct points anyway. The first is, do not judge. Really? There is a question mark there, right? Really? And number two, judging who and how. I could also have added why. So as a preface, I want to just say and get, it, get us into this thought for today that in my lifetime, I believe I've personally heard, and I've been a Christian since I was a rock and roll, long, much longer-haired uh, drummer hippie in Toronto since I was 23 years of age. So that's a while ago, right? And in my lifetime as a believer, I think I have heard every, every major objection to the Christian faith. Many of you have too. I think I've heard them all. Um, specifically related to Jesus being the only Son of God and the only way to salvation. I've heard them all, rephrased and said in different ways, but I have heard them all. I've tried to respond and answer to them all, not necessarily well all the time, but we have tried. Sadly, I also hear now, and now it's like every three to five years. It used to be every five to seven years, but now it's like every three to five years. Sadly, I'm hearing... um, People actually in the church repeating the same arguments. Well, I'm hearing people say this, or I'm people, and it, and and it's so, so it's like you've got to go through an apologetics class every three to five years now to help Christians be able to respond to the critic or the questions. So, truth be told, there are not so much reasons why people reject God in the Bible's teaching, but they're what Tim Keller, my favorite pastor, as you all know aptly referred to as defeater beliefs. They're like, aha, gotcha quips, right? People just throw them out at us. And this can happen whether you're of a faith of a different way or even if you're an atheist and you believe solely in science. It's like an aha quip that you sort of go, gotcha. And it's like, I can't respond to that. You're kind of stuck, or at least that's how we feel. And more and more what I'm seeing are Christians actually buckling under these Aha, gotchas. Uh, So let me be frank. These are, in my opinion, really, really weak arguments. So relax, you can handle them. And and so as to avoid, however, seeming to be hateful or argumentative, uh, many of us, many Christians, look for every possible way to say, oh, no, sorry, we understand how Christianity appears and, and, quite frankly, how the church has been so intolerant and hurtful But no, it's just, listen, that maybe what we've done is either misinterpreted or misrepresented the Bible. Anybody? 
I see that anyway. So our text today, I want to suggest to you, is one of those clobber verses. This is one of those gotchas that many use to shut down, listen, discussions, any discussion related whatsoever to what people believe, how they're living their lives, their immoral acts and actions, a verse which, quite frankly, many Christians are also relying on and pointed to so that no one will get in their grill or challenge them about sin in their life. This verse is pulled out and used often. So let's have a look at this. <laughs> Under point number one, do not judge. Really? Question mark. Let me put the verses on screen for you and then we'll have a look. Jesus again saying, there we go. Do not judge, underlined, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So right out of the gate, you see those three words that are typically just the three words that are brought out, right? Do not judge. Stop. So I've heard it said many times in my lifetime that we as Christians are terribly judgmental people. Anybody ever heard that? You Christians are the most judgmental people on the planet. There can be some truth to that, as we will see today. It's true in some respects. And as we will see today, that maybe, as I said, sometimes is true. However, the main reason why most people pull out these verses is to, listen, defeat any attempt by a friend who happens to be a Christian, or even not, for that matter, uh, to speak into truth into their lives and into their hearts. The conversation is to end because of do not judge. That's how it's used. So for starters, let's look at the logic behind this claim. I mean, first and foremost, the very claim that someone might make that you are wrong to judge their actions is in itself what? A judgment. <laughs> it's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black. You shouldn't judge me. It's wrong to judge me. That's a judgment itself. So further, our whole culture is completely given over to passing judgment. Have you noticed that? It, it, our culture is. Have you ever seen, by the way, these two symbols before? It's the best graphic I could find, but, you know, it doesn't really fit the, the, the genre that our, our graphic design team, and you know all knows who she is, uses, but it's everywhere. Judgment, passing judgment, our culture is totally fine with it. So whether comments on social media, and especially on apps or sites like TripAdvisor, etc., we are encouraged, maybe conditioned, huh? hello algorithms, to pass judgment on, listen, people, places, products, services, you name it. Not just thumbs up, thumbs down, but comments. <laughs> They're lovely. So this can have a dark side to it, right? However, however, there's a positive side, if you think about it, right? In the case, say, of TripAdvisor or Airbnb, constructive, underline that word, constructive reviews which are judgments, can be very helpful, right? You go looking for a place to stay and so forth, and you see like 95% of the people say, lovely, wonderful, great experience. You got a few people saying, you know, like one, terrible, don't ever go there. But you weigh it all out, and you go there. 
the reviews, the judgments, are actually helpful. So at the heart of what Jesus is teaching to his disciples on that day, and I believe he wants you and I to hear today, is that the point is, is to stop being critical. Using judgment in a condemning way. That's essentially, I think, what he's getting at. And instead, pursue a good and helpful form of judgment. Why? Because we all need it. So this, like much of what he's been speaking about for the past two chapters, is, yes, about us flourishing, yes, about living the good life, but we were created to be in community, to be in relationship with one another, and this teaching, like last week and most of the sermon for that matter, is about how we get along better, (laughs) how we get along better, and specifically in the church. That's his heart. So... Let's start with the word, just the one word, just to help unpack this a little bit more for us this morning and hear what he means with the word judge. Uh, It's, again, unfortunate. Our uh, ESV translation is what uh, we normally use here. Actually, what I had used right there um, is from the NIV. I I think it's just a little bit more precise from the Greek. Um, Do not judge. But the word in our language today, it's unfortunate because the Greek word is translated appropriately here. But what's happened in our English language, around this word in particular, it's not like it's been redefined, but it's been narrowed quite a bit, right? And that makes it a problem for us to understand what we're seeing here today. So it is almost universally heard as condemning. And that's why we hear people respond to us when we say something to them that sounds judgmental, as they will respond with, hey, it says in the Bible, do not judge, so don't judge me. Right? And then secondly, it it could be in a broader context, them saying, or you saying for that matter, listen, don't judge my actions. Don't judge my beliefs. Don't judge my lifestyle. You're judging me personally. And so it's taken as condemnation, which is not what it intends to mean or what it does mean, actually. But there has always been a much broader understanding of the definition in culture for millennia, and it doesn't matter what culture you're from. The broader definition in, quote, the Greek here and in every other dictionary, you know, if you go to the dictionary and you look up judge or judgment, you're going to see what? They, they have like two or three different definitions, like they expand on each other, so it's not one narrow thing. It's not condemning. It's, not, it's more things than that. In fact, most dictionaries will say something along the lines that to judge is to evaluate, discern, separate, or decide. That's a little broader, right? That that seems more reasonable. At least to me, it does. So this is precisely, uh, actually, when you think about it, the role of a judge in a court of law, isn't it? The the role of a judge in a court of law is one who listens, uh, listens to the prosecution, to the defense, to the witnesses, and, and then proceeds to uh, uh, listen to and, and, and then listens, perceives, and decides what is, listen, just, which comes from the same root word, and then dispenses what? Justice, again, from the same root word. And so it is this. It is their job as a judge is to point out who is right, who is innocent, 
and yes, to bring condemnation to the one who is guilty. That's the role of a judge in our court system today. And you know what? For the most part, it works pretty good. <laughs> it works pretty good. And it's because it is actually a biblical principle. It's actually law comes from the Bible that we use today. So this discernment process is what it means to judge. So, but sadly also, this is one of the reasons I want to suggest to you why our sense of what justice is today is kind of distorted in our world and culture. True justice comes from judging fairly and rightly and is not just condemnation for the bad, for the oppressive, but restoration of what is right and what is and with, with its necessary good and bad consequences being distributed accordingly. So even in our culture today, when, when it comes to justice, things have to be weighed in order for us to get to a fair and hopefully restorative relationship. So a better definition or, quite frankly, full attribution might be what is getting at here in the Greek and coming from Jesus' lips. Do not judge unfairly or put in the positive when you do judge judge fairly weigh things fairly and in a very direct effort to get you and I to take him seriously and to stop criticizing stop approaching others with a critical spirit Jesus warns he says oh by the way if you judge unfairly you will get that in return And some of us are like, wait, what? Is that karma? (laughs) Jesus is preaching karma. No, no, he's not. But kind of, in this sense. If if you know people who have a critical spirit, um, anybody? (laughs) Uh, After a while, they get treated a certain way, right? I mean, you and I respond to people who have a continual critical spirit, a certain way. We do. On the other hand, if a person is a generous and gentle and loving critic, we respond in, again, a very different way. And so it's important that we treat others fairly. And if we do, the teaching of Jesus is, well, you will too. Maybe not all the time, but chances are, if you're someone who judges fairly, you will be judged fairly just in life. One last point on verse 7-1 that I need to make, though, at this point is this. We all are being judged, right? Everyone is being judged. God is our and everyone's ultimate judge. He not not only hears the words that come out of my mouth, he not only sees my, my deeds and my actions, he knows my very thoughts which means he, by, he knows yours too, right? He ultimately is the judge. So, so listen, we must not take from this teaching ever that it is up to us to pass judgment on others' hearts and motives. Okay? That's important. We should examine their actions, yes, attitudes, words, and deeds, but we cannot judge their motives, or we shouldn't anyway. Only God is the one who can do that. So the lesson there is let's not play God. Let's not play God. So we can see that what Jesus is getting at here has to do with the scales of justice. 
The, the words that he used, I, they're still on screen. Yes, good. Where, where he says this, and, and the scales of justice and judging fairly, when he adds this, with the measure, look at that word, that you use, or that you use it, will be measured to you. So measure in any language doesn't really matter, um, whether Greek or in the context here of our English, speaking to fairness via really the scales of justice or equity, at least in terms of, even if you think about it, in terms of the marketplace. I love the illustration of, you know, there used to be a day when, you know, there would be a scale in a butcher shop and it, it, the meat would be put on the scale and it would get weighed and you'd, get, you'd sit there and you would actually see what it was weighing out at and then you would be charged. And so this, this is about fairness. It's about judging the weight of a hunk of meat, but it's about fair and equitable judgment. So we can see that Jesus is pointing to that about this measuring and examining and being careful how we judge. So Jesus, as he's been doing so skillfully, and to help us see what he wants us to see, he provides an unbelievable example. It's such a great metaphor. I don't know how many times I've heard sermons preached on this, and there's been an amazing graphic up on the screen. You're welcome. You're not going to get one this morning with some guy with a two-by-four coming out of his eye, right? Like, it it is a great illustration, and actually, it's incredibly powerful. Finally, however, before we look at that, I have to also make this point. You don't, we don't have time to dwell in it deeply, but I would encourage you for homework. Read the Gospels, read the book of Psalms, read the New Testament, and I think you will find that Jesus is all for judging. He is all for judging. Read the Psalms. I just read Psalm 11 this morning about the, the psalmist actually calling certain people wicked and calling God to, to destroy the wicked. That requires judgment. In that particular case, God did. Especially when you read Jesus and Paul, there are points in their speaking where they warn us as the church to beware about wolves, to beware of false teachers. And so, in other words, to be, you know, like actually have your antennae on and to be looking for it, to be questioning, to be then discerning. And and actually, in Matthew 18, Jesus says, in worst-case scenarios, if that's the case, if that is the judgment of the church, not just the elders, but of the church, put them out of the church. So just to say, we have to hear this, Jesus is for judging. But there's a process, and there's something called fairness. And there's a heart of restoration, always, not condemnation in these things. So point number two now, then, is this wonderful metaphor, judging who and how. I hope we will see this. So Jesus asks this question. It's amazing. Oops. Why do you, listen and look at this, see the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but you do not notice the log, the plank that is in your own eye? I like a plank. Log is one thing, but a plank. It's It's very graphic, and I like that. So a couple of things. Observation first. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's observing them. (laughs) Literally, it's metaphorical, but he's actually saying, listen, I see you, and he sees you and I. He sees what we're doing. He's observing us. He's observing our behavior, and he's asking a very, very direct question. So again, Jesus is not saying don't judge. That's exactly what he's doing here, right? 
He's passing a judgment based on watching us, observing us, that you are judging unfairly. Why? Because you've got a plank in your eye, and yet you think you're qualified to... Okay, we'll get there. So basically, he's asking, how, listen, how is it even possible, Glenn, that you are able to see that tiny little splinter, that speck that's in your brother or sister's eye when you yourself have a two-by-four lodged in your own eye? It's almost funny, right? Thank you, Jesus. A little bit of humor there. It is, but it's serious, too. It's very serious what he's saying. Anyway, last week I said about anxiety, uh, it's not like Jesus is saying that some of us might suffer from anxiety or some of us might judge unfairly. I think what he's getting at here is we all can and we all do. So he goes on and says it this way, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? So, so this is interesting. Again, to get the point across, he rephrases it. It's a great way to teach. He rephrases the question or the scenario um, to highlight something we might miss, especially if we define judge too narrowly. Right? The implication here is that, listen, and this is the key, there are times, many times in fact, when what all of us really, really really need is for some caring, loving, and gentle brother and sister or sister, come look into our eye and help us out. But the problem is, if we have a plank in our own eye, Well, we've got our own problems to deal with first before we can ever be that kind of gentle person to help our brother and sister out in a time of need. Jesus then says, you hypocrite. Okay, that sounds judgmental. (laughs) You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Great lesson here. So again, the idea is, on the positive front, it would appear that we do need to be able to judge others. We need to. Whether their actions, their thinking, their yes, sin, oh yes, that's a very difficult speck that can linger in an eye for a very long time and can actually then create blindness, potentially spiritual blindness. So now let's unpack this here. And to do that, we're going to need to back up a little bit into the text to see this. First of all, I think it's really interesting that in the metaphor, Jesus talks about the eye or uses the whole picture of of an eye as part of the metaphor of an eye with either a speck or a log or plank in it to teach us how we are better able to handle or relate to each other in our human relationships, and in this case, related to rightly and fairly judging one another. So the fact is, our eyes are part of the metaphor, yes, and that is a key. Because why? Well, it is with our eyes, for the most part, that we actually relate to each other. I see you right now. You see me. It's how we relate to each other. I know. We're all judging each other's clothing or hair. I get it. It's all right. But that's how we relate to each other. 
And so that's something that we should take from this, which is really positive. But the truth is also we see, hopefully, those of us who are kinder and more gentle, we see the good, right? We see the good, but truth is, we see the good and then we see the warts. We see all. If we're in relationship, we do. And that, again, is important. So, of course, then we, we use our minds to weigh the evidence that we see or hear, for that matter, as we pass judgment on a particular situation or subject or something we're seeing in a friend, in a brother or sister's life. And so we, we pass judgment or we're being called to. So let me also suggest this to you. Jesus used this metaphor, I think, for two clear reasons. First, as we've already noted, because his desire is for us to have healthy, loving, and, quite frankly, united relationships specifically in his church. So this is part of that process, by the way. It's part of the process of unity. But secondly, we should see this. The eye is a window. The eye is a window into a person's heart. Or, more literally, into their soul. If you get up close and personal, it certainly can be. And I think that's something Jesus wants us to see. So we are being encouraged by Jesus to truly see each other, to truly see each other, to be in relationships that are healthy and loving to the point where we can lovingly disciple one another in our faith and walk with Jesus. The primary goal that Jesus has had throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount is to get to your and my heart. He's been pointing out the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees through the whole sermon, at least the first half, and now he's saying, listen, you don't want to be like them. I need to get to your heart. What you need, Christian, what I need is heart surgery. Jesus wants to change your heart so that you and I can live the good life individually, but more importantly, that we can live that good life together in harmony and in unity. It's crazy when you think about it. We know this. Jesus, when you talk about heart surgery, is the great physician, right? He's the only great physician. But isn't it kind of strange that for some reason he expects us to be his interns in this ministry? That's what I'm picking up here. And so I want to show you that by looking at something called method. As we then look back over the simple but truly profound teaching, we see that Jesus has laid out a method or a process for us. If what we are to do, and we are, is to judge each other fairly so that we can be helping out each other with the specks in our eyes, in our hearts, there's something you and I must do first before we are going to be even remotely helpful. Do you remember how the sermon started? He, he started with those blessings that you and I are to have as Christians and do have. Let me remind you of the first three. He said this and taught us this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. These, according to Jesus, are the key character traits of those who are his disciples. They are the key character traits of a human being who is truly flourishing 
And what did we learn from those traits? Well, we learned this. We learned that there is nothing that you and I can do to earn our salvation. Amen? We have got nothing that we can bring to the table and say, look, I'm pretty good. You should accept me. Or listen, I'm at least not as bad as this person over here, so you should accept me. No, it's the realization, it's the poverty of spirit where you come to realize that, no, you're... You're a sinner. You need forgiveness. And it's that poverty of spirit that produces in you a regeneration of spirit and heart to believe. And so first and foremost, we, we must have that and remind ourselves when it comes to judging that, hold on a second. I, I have to remind myself that I, too, am imperfect. I am saved by the grace of God like everyone else. But then secondly, out of that, we, we mourn. What? We mourn, what? When, when people die and pass away? Yes, of course we do. But the passage is actually talking about, no, we mourn over sin. We not only mourn over, we don't necessarily mourn over the sin of the world and sin of other people. Sure we do. But we, we, we mourn over the fact that, yeah, we, we now believe, we know we're saved, we're forgiven, but we, we still mess up. And so on a day-to-day basis, we are repenting and mourning of our own sin. And so that process changes us, begins to change our hearts, and actually makes us meek, humble. Guess what? What Jesus is getting at is if you go back to that and remind yourself of that, that plank may, may just come out of your eye. Maybe now you're going to be helpful and ready to help your brother and sister with the problem they have. So I want to, I want to think of a couple of pictures really quickly here as illustration. You know, just imagine for a minute, have you ever had a splinter, like not just a little speck of sawdust, but a splinter in your eye? Right? Like, you, right? It, it's painful, right? It hurts. It, you start to rub it, you make it worse, right? Your eye starts to, you know, like water up, you know, you can't do anything about it, you, you, do, you pull the lid down, you're trying to get it out, you're doing your best, squirting water in it, nothing's working. And then it starts to get red, right? It can get really, really bad. What do you want more than anything else at that point in time? Well, I have a nurse for a wife, <laughs> right? It's like, Janice, mom, you want someone to come and, but, but here's, here's what you don't want, right? You don't want someone coming at you with a hammer and a chisel, do you? Do you? It's like, back off. <laughs> what are you doing here? Right? And so I've been thinking about that as, a, as an illustration for you because, no, what you want is you want someone to come with a little, you know, a little Kleenex with a little bit of water on it and say, oh, it's okay, relax. I got this. And pull down your lid. And, and then when it comes out, what happens? Oh, it's a great relief. I would also suggest to you that that sometimes can be the way that some of us approach the way we outreach, our evangelism, especially when it comes to something like apologetics, right? We can get into almost a a fight, especially those defeater beliefs that people have about Christianity, and we can come at the debate with what? A hammer and a chisel. Even in that case, I think Jesus would be saying, listen, go get the plank out of your own eye first, (laughs) because when has that ever really worked, that approach? Sharing the gospel is not to be approached that way. 
So therefore, the first thing that you and I need to do before we attempt to help our brother or sister is to check our own hearts, our own sin, and remind ourselves of the grace of God that forgave us, and then go and help. Go and help with a meekness of heart. Secondly, related to method, if you do, listen, if you do have a speck in your eye, like I've kind of alluded in that illustration, you know it, right? Okay, let's take the metaphor a little bit further. It's not just your eye, but you've got a speck in your heart. You're hurting. You've got maybe some sin in your life, which is hurting you. Well, as I alluded to before, don't ignore it. It could get worse, and it could, yes, become spiritual blindness. It can be callous in your heart and your life. We must be open to those who we are entrusted, yes, trusted relationships with, to gently take the specks out of our eyes and out of our hearts. But listen, in order for that to happen, you need to be in those relationships. You need to be here on Sunday, and you need to be with your Christian brothers and sisters in community throughout the week. You need to get into trusted relationships where you're ready, willing, and able to say to someone, you see the speck? If you don't, maybe I can point it out for you. Could you help me? Could you help me? Friends, I I really do believe with all my heart, this is what Jesus is trying to get at here. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be in healthy, loving relationships, and that's how we do it. What does 1 John tell us? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but you know what? Repentance and forgiveness of sins within the body heals relationships. That's what Jesus wants for you. The last verse is interesting. It can be rather confusing. We will end with this, well, almost. It's a very interesting verse. Jesus then says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Some of you are going, would you please pray now? What in the world? Just what happened here? There are commentators, I totally disagree with them, who are saying that, yeah, Matthew dropped this in. Jesus didn't really say that here. He did say that, but somewhere else. Don't believe that's true. But I would also suggest a few things for you to see as we conclude. If you're still unsure, by the way, that Jesus is against judging, this kind of ends that debate, right? He's basically saying to us, to you and I, that there are people, hear me now, who would be deemed pigs or swine or dogs. That's passing judgment, I would suggest. So first, the things, listen, that we should see from this is that the things of God are holy to God. And one of the things that we have in our possessions that is holy is his word. And so God, Jesus is saying here, listen, my word is holy, so don't, don't mistreat it. Don't reinterpret it. Don't disregard it despite, despite the defeater beliefs that come at you. My word is Holy. Now, most of you have probably heard teachings on this in the past where, in those days anyway, within the Jewish faith, dogs were unclean animals. They weren't domesticated like they are today, and they're still unclean in some cases, okay? Um, And they represented, at least in the minds of the Jewish people, 
Gentiles and pagans. In fact, it was a slur to call a Gentile or pagan a dog. That was the general. They were unclean because they were not Jewish. They weren't sanctified. But also the Jewish people were not to eat what? Pork. So it was an unclean animal. But what's with the thing called pearls? That's interesting, isn't it? Like there's pearls there, right? And, and this is the part that is rather encouraging. Because <laughs> you can read that and you go, what, what in the world is Jesus getting at? Well, one thing that he is getting at, and then we'll get to the pearls, is this. And I've said this to many Christians in the past, and it's hard for some of you to hear this. But there are people that you are going to go and try to help with the speck that's in their eye, or even the plank that's in their eye, right? And they're going to, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You're going to witness to them over and over and over again. And at some point, they're just going to keep rejecting, re- pushing you away, not wanting to hear it, not wanting to confess it, not wanting to give it up, not wanting to believe. Jesus said in Matthew 13 to his 72 disciples as he was sending them out, To do this, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had bought, all that he had, pardon me, and bought it. So listen, um, when he sent out to 72, I was going to say first that he told them, listen, if they won't hear you in a given city, dust off your sandals and move on. I know that's hard to hear, but that's Jesus' advice here too. But then there's this part about the pearls, and it's this. Metaphorically speaking, Jesus is speaking about the kingdom. The key to the kingdom is the pearl of great price. Who is that? It's Jesus. And in this little tiny parable that Jesus gives about the kingdom, he's saying, listen, it is of such high value that whatever you have in your life, you should give it up now so that you can have this, this pearl of great price. That's what I think he's getting at in that very unusual verse, verse 6. So friends, in conclusion, let me suggest two things. One, Jesus is encouraging you and I to become the kind of people, the kind of person who sees clearly enough because of their own humility that they are able to remove the speck in another person's eye. Really, the whole point of his teaching here on judging is that we are the kind of people who love people actively enough that we are willing to get up close and personal, look them right in the eye, and have that conversation. That's his point. Stop judging critically. Start judging critically lovingly. Amen? Pray with me, would you?